Revelation chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 26 through 29. As we move on to the message that the Lord presented to that church at Thyatira there, in Revelation 2, verses 26 through 29, as he speaks to him that overcomes, continuing the study that we've undertaken here for the last several weeks. And he who overcomes, he says in verse 26, and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels, as I also have received from my father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's bow our heads together and ask the Lord to bless this study tonight. Heavenly Father, we come before you this evening, Lord, again asking that you help us to put aside those things that might concern us in the moment. Father, I thank you that you are almighty, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving. And Father, you love us well enough and deep enough to give us the word that you want for us even now in this moment. Help us not to falter in it, Lord. Help us not to forego this opportunity by putting our minds and our hearts somewhere else. Help us to invest our time and our thoughts into something eternal, what you have for us even now. Thank you for it, Lord, and thank you for this time with these dear ones. Bless us in fellowship this evening, I pray and ask, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Once again, speaking to Thyatira, uh, if you've been here on Sunday evenings, Douglas isn't here, but he's been talking about these seven churches here, and so we might overlap a couple of different things that he mentioned over the last two Sunday mornings. Uh, Thyatira being one of those churches that, well, one of the five that the Lord did chastise or correct, not one of the two that he didn't have chastisement for. Uh, They did have, as you read about this church and what he had to say to them earlier in a couple verses back, you can see that they had a measure of love, they had a measure of service, they had a measure of faith in the Lord, a measure of patience, he mentions. But he does say those words that we hate to hear. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. I don't want the Lord to have things against me. Now, I am grateful that when he does have something against me, he is faithful to let us know. He's faithful to let me know when he has something against me. Or let me know that there's something I need to speak to him about if we're willing to listen. Uh, And so he did say, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. And he told them where they were falling short there in Thyatira as a whole. They were listening to false teaching. They had specific ones coming in with false messages, ungodly messages that were bringing these people into a direction that the Lord wasn't having. And if you just bring it down and kind of distill it down to something, you could say it as simply as this. They were looking for something and hearing something other than Jesus as their satisfaction. Whether it's something carnal or it's something foul or something that we would find really detestable or just something very simple... If something takes our mind, as we consider often, if something takes our view and our perspective and our satisfaction, our peace, our comfort, any of those things that we're supposed to place in the Lord, if something removes that, well, then it's wrong for us. And it's, well, it's going to hold us back. It's going to weigh us down. And him that overcomes, this one ambiguous one that we're considering, him that overcomes will not be defined by that will not be defined by having things distract them from the things of Jesus. He'll find joy in Jesus first and foremost. Um, He'll be satisfied with searching for more and more of him. Look at verse 23 there. Uh, Jesus knows who's satisfied. 
He knows who's satisfied in seeking him with their hearts. He knows who's not distracted by other things. And he says so there in the second half of verse 23 of Revelation chapter 2. He says, I am he who searches the minds and hearts. And, if, and I will give to each one of you according to your works, he goes on to say. He searches the minds and the hearts. David said, search me, O God. See if there be anything disagreeable. See if there be anything evil. The Lord is willing to do that. He's willing to show us, willing to tell us if we are being satisfied. Finding something else. Finding something else as our peace and the like. And again, him that overcomes will listen when the Lord speaks to him and, well, return back. And so we see here in verse 26 in this opening passage here, he offers a pair of blessings, a pair of provisions for those ones who the Lord will seek or search their heart and realize that those ones have been seeking him. And so we see there, And he who overcomes and keeps my work until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. Now before we look at the provisions that he has there, uh, let's look at what it says there. Well, in that second part of that first half of the verse, where it says, And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end. I have it highlighted for you there. Why is that so meaningful? Well, because this is kind of, well, putting a little bit of a definition on what we've been considering with him that overcomes, or her that overcomes, those, one that over, those ones that will overcome fully, as we have dubbed it or termed it, those ones who will be fully victorious, don't just overcome death, don't just overcome the penalty of sin through faith. It's something that they do ongoing, and so we kind of see that defined here, don't we? He who overcomes and keeps my works... Until the end. That's putting a, an addendum on there. That's putting an extra tag. Now, if you understand the meaning of grace and Paul's teaching of it and the truth that is grace, you recognize that keeping works until the end, as we've said a number of times just in the study alone, keeping works to the end doesn't garner you an entrance into heaven, doesn't garner you a place in the body of Christ, it doesn't garner you that. So this is something more. He who overcomes... And does this further, keeps my works until the end. More than merely having redemption, more than merely believing. It's an endeavor, it's a pursuit, it's a continuation of things. Keeping my works to the end. To that one who does that, or to those ones who do that. There he makes those promises that we've been considering here in these seven churches. Um, It's an ongoing obedience. It's a continuous, well, work keeps my works until the end. Now, those of you who have studied this out, whether it was before this study we've begun or as you've been reading for yourself, I'll ask you a question. You can answer out loud if you so choose. In regards to works, to these seven churches, what's one of the statements that Jesus said to all seven of these churches regarding works? Anybody? I know your works. That's what he said to all seven of them. I know your works. I understand what you've been doing. Now, we who are in this grace circle, or we who understand Paul's gospel, you know, I don't ever want to say, well, who gives a hoot about our works? If, you know, no, he does give a hoot. And even if, well, I'm not even going to even if or speculate or any of that stuff, Jesus knows our works and he knows our works for a reason. He said there, what does he say? Uh, to the one who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. But he also goes on to say, well, because he recognizes the works, he says that in chapter 3. He sees what we have 
what we're doing, what we're going to do, and why we're doing that. He knows our works. Chapter 2 and verse 2, chapter 2, verse 9, chapter 2, verse 13 and 19, chapter 3, verse 1, verse 8, verse 15. To each one of these seven churches and to each one of us, he says, I know your works and why you do things. I know why, what your purpose is, what your intentions are. If it's me, that's your purpose. If it's something else, if it's to look like you're pursuing me, if that's your purpose, he knows that. That's getting kind of down into the nitty-gritty of things, I guess you could say. If you have no interest in me whatsoever, he knows that. He knows what we're doing. He recognizes our works. James tells us that faith without works is dead. So, I mean, we understand that we want, if we want to have a living faith that bears out the truth of Christ in us, the hope of glory, that demonstrates who he is and demonstrates our love for him, and we walk in obedience to him, then those works will come. We understand this. And God sees that, and he knows that. He prepares those good works, equips us for good works. And I'm going to leave it it there. You understand that works are necessary as they are done for him, as guided by him. It reflects our dedication to Christ, and it does for him that overcomes. Uh, In 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 11, Paul speaks in regards to these works and this ongoing pursuit of walking by faith in the works that God has for us. He doesn't necessarily lay out what those works might be. He just kind of puts an umbrella over it. And Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.11, he says, But you, O man of God, you who are a believer, you who are one who has believed and been redeemed, flee these things, these sinful things, these pieces of the flesh, these distractions of the flesh, these impacts of the flesh. Flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Because God knows your works. Pursue these things because God knows and he rewards those ones. Fight the good fight of faith, he goes on to say. Lay hold on eternal life. That doesn't mean so that you might have eternal life. That means lay hold on to eternal life for what it is. In appreciation of it. In gratitude for it. Lay hold on that eternal life and embrace it. And live the life that, well, that Jesus gave you eternal life for to which you are also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. It's the gift of God through Jesus Christ eternal life is. And to appreciate it and to value it and to live dedicated to the one who gave it to you, that is works. And those are the works that Jesus sees and recognizes and says, those are works done on my behalf. Those are works that are done in league with me. And as always, the one who lives so, him that overcomes, him who will overcome fully, will receive in eternity what they've lived and dedicated their natural lives to. And that's Jesus, Jesus himself. The hidden man, as we've considered, the the tree of life, the morning stars we'll see here in just a moment, and other things that he's described. They will receive Jesus in eternity to the measure that they have decided to follow him now on an exponentiated level. Sorry for the multi-syllable words, but there you have it. Uh, what does he offer them in addition to himself? Well, here in this, in this, to this church in Thyatira, he mentions, well, to him I will give power over the nations. Power over the nations. Now, power here doesn't just mean the right to beat people down and you're going to go and you're going to snuff, snuff people out and you're going to render my wrath and deliver my justice and et cetera, et cetera. Although some people do preach that sort of thing. Power here means authority, but it also means place and it means position. And I think that when you're looking at, well, when you're considering full over 
comers and being fully victorious, it's, well, it's right and appropriate that rank would be presented here, right? I'll give you authority over the nations. There's an authority that goes with being a joint heir with Christ. If you've suffered with him, you are joint heirs with Christ. Not just heirs of God, but joint heirs with the Son of God, the only begotten. Well, if you've suffered with him, joint heirs with him. Well, say he tells to Laodicea there. What is that in verse twenty-one of chapter three? Is that where it is? Chapter twenty or chapter three and verse twenty-one. To him I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcome and sat down with my father on his throne. Getting well ahead of ourselves. That's going to come in a couple of weeks here, but that's sharing a throne with the Son of God. That there's authority that's present there because not all will do this as we can look and see the great multitude that stands on the outside of the throne in a different place than the four living ones and those, those, well, those elders that are there up in the midst and around the throne. There's a different place there. There's an authority that comes from being up next to somebody who has authority in, them, in themselves. It's an honorable place. If you look in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 9, this is speaking to Philadelphia. We're looking at a bunch of these churches tonight. Making statements there to that church that he didn't have any correction for Philadelphia, that picture of those believers that will not see the grave. They'll be taken straight to the Lord. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. This is not uh, him that overcomes that will be worshipped here, you understand. When John, when John had that one who was taking him and showing him some of the things that he saw in Revelation, John was so impressed by him, if you recall, that he fell down on his face and was going to worship him. And he says, see that you do it not. No, don't do that. I'm a servant as you are. John, who knew Jesus, who understood, you know, you don't just worship just anybody. He was, well, he was ready to pay obeisance to this one. And he said, no, you, you don't do this. I am a servant as you are. These ones are not going to worship those who are next to Jesus. They're worshiping Jesus. But those ones who are so close to him are so close to him that they will be worshiping before their feet. And they will know, they will know that Jesus has loved them. We understand every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess. We don't know exactly what that will look like, exactly what shape and in what proximity. But when you're up and you're the nearest and you're the closest to the Son of God. And anyone worships Him or pays their, well, bows their knee to Him, confesses that He is the Lord, then if you are right up there with Him, it will be before your feet. And they will know. They will know that Jesus loves them. You ever been with somebody when they had some measure of authority or they were in their element? Perhaps you were visiting them and they knew everybody and you didn't know anybody, but you kind of were tied in because you were with them. I went and visited Scott at, at Fire Station 5. I think you were still lieutenant there at 5. Went over and one night we were visiting Denver and I went and had dinner with him. And man, those guys treated me good. They fed me well because I was Lieutenant Sayers. I was the boss's guest. And so they were really nice. Now, they might have been nice to me anyway. You know, they're, they're good dudes and that sort of thing. But because I was a friend of the boss, they treated me well. I don't think I had to wash a dish that night. And that didn't typically happen in the fire station. Uh, it, was a, it's, it was nice because I was close up to him. Now, they didn't worship him, but they honored him, certainly, because of his place. Jesus essentially says, 
they're with me. These ones are with me. I love these ones. Not, again, as we heard recently, not that I don't love these ones out here, but these ones here, there's a special place. There's a relationship there because they want to lean on my breast, as we just sang just a moment ago. They want to lean on me, and I'm going to allow those ones who want to be closest to me and demonstrate that as I know their works and see their works and see that that's been their pursuit. That's been what they've desired. I've recognized it. I've seen it. I'm going to give them what they want. They're going to come in. And those ones who will be about, they'll worship before their feet as they worship me because they're going to be up here close to me. Uh, And he says that they'll do that because... Well, because they kept his command to persevere, we see in verse 10 there as he continues on to Philadelphia. It's the pursuit of his honor that causes him that overcomes to be honored. Uh, It causes that one who will be fully victorious to be, well, identified as being with the Son of God. Now, verse 27 goes on to describe the authority that will be given to those ones who share that place. Kind of gives a little bit of a shaping to it. If we see there, it says, And he, over, he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him, to him I will give power over the nations. And then it goes on and says, He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessel, as I also have received from my father. Now, different ones might wonder how much of the dashing of these nations like potter's vessels we might be doing. Or him that overcomes might be doing. Depending on your translation, it might be have just a little bit of a different presentation there that might sound more like what, what I think is being expressed here. Uh, I don't want to get into the weeds in this, but I do want to say this. Um, where it says, to him I will give power over the nations. And it says, he shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels. I have heard it preached that we're going to be given the rod of iron. We're going to get out there and we're going to start swinging swords. And we're going to go before the Lord. And we're going to be his steamrollers and etc. and so on and so forth. I want it clear that, first off, we can agree on this. Any and all power comes from the Lord, number one. Uh, no matter how well we do in life. Uh, it's not by our might and not by our power we understand. It is all coming from him. All authority is his. We must not become arrogant in our pursuit of this place next to him. Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. That's not him being arrogant. That's him being telling it like it is. And Jesus does indeed have the authority. To delegate whatever power he chooses and whatever appointment he makes to whomever, however it looks in this life or in the, in the life to come, eternal life, whatever that might be. But I want us to understand that when Jesus is speaking here in verse 27, it says, He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessel. He is, he is quoting a psalm there. If you don't have the note in your respective Bible, you might jot it in there. He's quoting Psalm 2. Psalm 2 and verse 8. So let's flip over to Psalm chapter 2. And recognize that Jesus is citing this, uh, not poem, but this psalm that is about him. It's an interesting, kind of an interesting paradox. Jesus quoting a psalm that's kind of quoting from his perspective. I don't want to get my mind wrapped around that either. But this is a prophetic psalm here. We don't know who the author is, but in Psalm chapter 2 and verse 7, he says, I will declare the decree... The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten 
you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. And again, I believe it's clear that the psalmist is speaking prophetically from Jesus' perspective here. And he goes on to speak, in case we have any question, of a wrath to come. He says, Now therefore be wise, O kings, be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry. I think that means the Son of God. Lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. However the Lord determines he wants to delegate, whatever authority he wants to give and whatever appointment he wants to give, the authority is his and his alone. The power is his and his alone. To him be all the glory and the power forever, they say in Revelation chapter 4. It's Jesus who is going to be doing the dashing The dashing of these nations like the potter's vessels, no matter what role we might play in it. If you look back in Revelation chapter 19, we see see it painted rather vividly here. His triumphant, well, his work that he's going to do against his enemies. And we read this one often, and I think it's just. (laughs) Now I saw heaven open, it says in Revelation 19.11. And behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. He does. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. This is Jesus indeed. Now, his victorious ones are going to be with him. The armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, it goes on to say, followed him on white horses. And whatever role they have in it, well, it's going to be a supportive one. It's his authority. His power, His strength, His wrath, His work, His will. Ultimately, it's His word that does all the work anyway. Now out of His mouth, it says in verse 15, His mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it He should strike the nations. And He Himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He Himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. It's his power, it's his authority, it's his work. Whatever role that him that overcomes might play in that is merely because the Lord has delegated that power to him and nothing to do of ourselves. We share a purpose, we share a place with him, and it's an honor to be there, to be strengthened and empowered and well-equipped for that. Our blessing is simply to be with him, not to, well, not to look for some kind of sword-swinging ruling authority on our part, but to give all the glory to him. Um, I'm going to skip over some things. I don't feel led to go in that direction just now. Understand that our blessing is to be with him. Uh, In Luke chapter 10 and verse 19, you recall that those 71, those 70, well, disciples that the Lord sent out, they came back and they gave a report. And they said, Wow, it was impressive what happened uh, when we were out. Even the spirits were, were subject to us. The Lord said, keep your perspective correct. When he said, behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. And I think he means specifically spiritually when we walk by faith. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Saints, do not wait for some time to come. Uh, Some time to come when we'll be with Him and we'll be in glory and that sort of thing to do your battling. 
battling is a time, well, the time for battle is now. The time to be strong in the power of the Lord and the power of his might and to put on the whole armor of God and so on and so forth. That's now. And him that overcomes is not going to wait for some time in the future, some time in the end times to pick up his sword for the first time. That one will be battling even now. And take hold of that place and that purpose, that shared purpose with the Lord now uh, in pursuing the things that he has for us. Authority and power is going to be reserved for the one who overcomes through Jesus. We understand this. Uh, And we'll see that in that shared place and that shared purpose in glory, certainly. And authority is going to come in that day for him that overcomes when we're with him. But we can rejoice that the battle is taking place even now. And we can pick up our sword. Uh, For time's sake, I'm going to start moving a little bit quicker and go back to our text there in verse 28 to see that second blessing that the Lord has for him that overcomes, at least the one mentioned tonight. Uh, He says, and I will give him the morning star. What is the morning star? Well, when you're in doubt, as our Sunday school kids know, if you're in doubt when a question is asked, Jesus, God, Holy Spirit, one of those three or all three is the correct answer a good part of the time. Jesus is the morning star. We understand this, I believe. And if you don't understand it, let me take you to Revelation 22:16, where he says this, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you, to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Very simply, this is just another one of those statements that him that overcomes is receiving the fullest of Jesus, the closest to Jesus, because him that overcomes sought it out now in their lives. Sought out that closest place, that fullest place to Jesus now. When you want Jesus and you live a life that bears that out and demonstrates it and shows it and is led by your desire for Jesus, he's going to give it to you. Without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is. Certainly we do. And that he is not only that, he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And those who diligently seek him will be rewarded with him, we understand. But as a metaphor, this morning star, what does it tell us about who Jesus is? Why why the morning star metaphor? Uh, We can understand that it's him. Why? What does it present? Is there some kind of nuance that's here? Well, as far as a morning star goes, you understand there's nothing more morning and nothing more starish, nothing more brilliant in the morning than the sun. The sun that rises in the east in the morning, every single morning, every single day, whether we can see it or not because of the clouds, whatever the case might be, the day spring happens every morning. The sun is there. Zacharias, the father of John the baptizer, said, spoke of through the tender mercy of our God with which the day spring from on high has visited us. That is the sunrise. Jesus is described so. He's like the manna. He's like the tree of life. Jesus is the sun and he has the qualities of that. We had a lesson not too long ago regarding the sun that is the Lord. We see it elsewhere here. John chapter 8 and verse 12. And Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness but have the light of life. And so again, we see this concept that he that overcomes is going to be one who doesn't just rest on salvation, doesn't just rest on redemption, but is willing to pursue. As this presents here, he who follows me. I believe you, Lord. I accept your salvation. Thank you very much. Saved. 
Done. Continuing one's life, that's not following the Lord. That's not following after Jesus. I can say hello to someone, give them a high five, and as they go out the door, if I go that direction, I've acknowledged them, established a contact with them, maybe even made friends with them. If I never see them again, I haven't followed them. This is something that's ongoing. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The one who follows will not close his eyes to the light. The one who follows the Lord Jesus will be less prone to stumbling because they're going to be in a lit path, a lit way. The one who follows is going to grow in faith because they have the sun upon them and they're pursuing the sun, not letting the sun set on them, as it were. They're pursuing the sun that is the Lord Jesus. They're pursuing the day spring, you might say. The one who follows is going to grow in the Lord and in faith, recognizing the benefits of the sun now in this life, not just waiting for it in times to come. Malachi 4 and verse 2 says to you who fear my name, ongoing, a continual fear, not just a once, I'm scared, I believe. See you later. Those who fear my name, continue that. The son of righteousness for them shall arise with healing in his wings. And you shall go out continuing, a continual return to the son. And grow fat like stall fed calves. There's a capability of being malnourished as a believer. You don't, you don't grow chubby like a veal if you are not eating right. If you aren't, well, feasting and feeding and staying healthy. You, well, you need to pursue. That's what we're looking to do. Believing. Believing and then further on partaking. Partaking of a regular diet of God's word. Of a regular fellowship with God's people. Regular fellowship with the Lord. In all of those contexts. Saints, you understand this. We understand this is something we consider often. It's not something we just stop. There's a reason why you're here four times a week. Most of you I see more often than just about anybody else not sharing my last name. Because we come and we gather here. Because we're pursuing the son of righteousness. We want that. Well, we want to be like stall-fed calves. Ones who are well-fed seeking him. Seeking spiritual health. Walking in the light and pursuing the Son of Righteousness. Uh, Turn to Psalm chapter 30 and verse 4. In regards to the Son. Where it says, Sing praise to the Lord, you saints of His. And give thanks at the remembrance of His holy name. Remembering is to consider again. And to consider again. And to consider again. For His anger is but for a moment. His favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. When? When the sun comes up. There's more than just this passage here and elsewhere. It's more than just a can't wait to get through this trial. You know, I just get me through this. Oh, the sun's coming up and the, oh, I feel better now and, and things are, are, are great and things are good. We want the trial to disappear. We want the sun to shine on us. We want to feel better. You know how it is. You sit and you worry about things. Something gets into your mind at three o'clock in the morning. At least it does for me. And even if I don't sit and just stew on it, I can't shut my brain off. It just kind of cycles in there. You're like, man, just, I just wish the day would just start so I could get up and get out of bed and distract myself with something else. Because, you know, it does tend to be a little bit calmer, a little bit more chill and not such a concern, not such a focus when you get up and you start walking around. There's more to it than just, well, let the morning come and get rid of this, this struggle, this trial. When it says the joy comes in the morning, it's a cry of joy. That's what that word joy means. It's an intentional, purposeful thing. 
It's not just something where you're like, thank goodness this trial is over. It's in the midst of the trial. In the midst of the respective nighttime that you might find yourself in. It's an intentional and a purposeful and even going against the natural logic of things. Finding joy. Recognizing joy where joy would not naturally be. It's crying out in praise is what it is. It's an intentional acknowledgement that whatever my lot is, whatever my situation is, it's a purposeful understanding, whatever the darkness might feel like, that Jesus is my sunlight. Jesus is my sunshine. Jesus is the brightness. As poetic as that might sound, as corny as it might sound, Jesus is the sun in the middle of this trial, whether I see him or not. He is my morning star, is what it means. It means that this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Saints, not all of God's people have this mindset. Him that overcomes has this mindset. The one who will be fully victorious has this mindset in the midst of those trials that usher them into joint heirship with Christ, you understand. Uh, Him that overcomes is going to recognize the sun, the morning star that is Jesus. He's going to bask in that. He's going to relish the sun. Uh, He's going to do it now, not waiting for eternity. We understand there's one glory of the sun. I'm going to wind this down. One glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. We understand there's a certain measure of rank involved here, isn't there? The sun being the brightest, the glory of the moon being that sun shining off of that moon, that one willing to face the sun and understand that all of its light, all of its warmth, all of its reflectiveness comes from its being faced towards the sun and reflecting that sun accordingly. Saints... The one who, well, him that overcomes is going to recognize the morning star as being the sole purpose of the day to start. It's going to look at it regardless of what it looks like, what it feels like in your day, recognizing that Jesus is there. Jesus is shining. Jesus is the purpose and he is the morning star. Him that overcomes is not going to wait till eternity to stand in a shared purpose with the Lord. Not going to wait till eternity to stand close to the Lord. Now we'll have that visible, however it manifests itself, just being right there next to him, we'll have that. But saints, we have close fellowship with him now. We seek close fellowship with him now. We should pursue close fellowship with him now. Him that overcomes is not going to wait until eternity to take joy in the light that is the Lord Jesus. He will not wait to be on his side. He will not wait to take up his sword. Asking the Lord, what would you have me to do? How can I support this mission, so to speak? How might I help? Even if it just means simply to stand and watch him do all the work by his authority, well equipped for every good work, whatever the case might be, however the Lord delegates it, him that overcomes simply needs to trust the Lord to enable, to guide, to lead, to give authority, to give the strength, and to be the son of the day. Him that overcomes will keep his works to the end so that he might win these things from the Lord Jesus and be blessed with that crown. Child of God, make it your purpose to do as he told well, these ones. Honor him with your works and seek him and let him delegate to you what he would have you to do and take joy in his presence in your life, no matter what he has allowed to come into that life. 
And that's where I'll stop tonight, and we'll continue on next week.